0: Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. We're beginning a new series uh, called Five on Five, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And the five on five here refers to five lessons each on the first five books of the Bible. And so we're going to spend five weeks looking at various chapters in Genesis then five in Exodus, five in Leviticus, five in Numbers and five in Deuteronomy. Uh, and if you're really good at math, you know that's 25 weeks, that's 25 sermons that we're spending in the Old Testament, uh, which will take us from now until the end of the summer. Uh, Just one encouragement, the Old Testament narratives are quite long, and I know um, I can take a chapter of the Bible and spend, you know, months on it, Uh, but here we're going to be reading through large chunks of scripture at a time. So I want to encourage you before you come to our service in preparation, whether that's Sunday morning or Saturday evening, uh, to read the passage in advance. Uh, The passage is always found on our digital worship guide, which is sent out in the newsletter. It's also found online, uh, just so that you're better prepared as you come to God's Word, uh, because we're going to go through it pretty quickly. We can't hit all the details, um, but if you've read it before, then it might be helpful uh, in our time together. So we're looking at Genesis 12. Uh, The sermon is entitled, A Lesson in Abram's Faith. So if you're able, please stand with me to read God's Word and to receive God's Word As our reverent worship to God. Genesis 12, beginning with verse 1, reading to Genesis 13, verse 4. Hear now the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? Father in heaven, uh, humble us as we now come to your word, remove from us uh, pride or arrogance. Uh, that believes we don't need to hear from you or uh, we don't need correction or we don't need comfort uh, or that we don't need any of this. Lord, but teach us true dependence on you and show us our great need to hear from the voice of our God and that in hearing from you, uh, we, your people, would be blessed and built up. Do this, Lord, for your sake and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, today, we read the story of a man named Abram. Now, just to clear this from the beginning, in Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And so, Abram and Abraham can be used interchangeably, and so I don't want you to get confused if I mistakenly say Abraham instead of Abram uh, or Abram instead of Abraham, and so uh, we're introduced to this man. Abram is his name, and he is probably one of the most famous and well-known religious figures in the world because uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews all claim themselves, identify themselves to be children of Abraham. And so he occupies a central place in each of these three uh, monotheistic religions. So we need to figure out who is Abraham and why is he so important. Uh, Now, when most people think about Abraham, when you think about Abraham, you may think about uh, the things you learned about him in Sunday school, uh, how he was a man of incredible faith. And his story is that of incredible faith. When my father immigrated to America almost 50 years ago from Korea, uh, right when he was receiving his citizenship, they asked him a question. Do you want to keep your name or change it? And he decided that he was not going to keep his Korean name, but he wanted to change his name legally to Abraham Kim. Abraham Kim. Why? Because Abraham in the Bible is an incredible man of faith with an incredible immigrant story. God called Abraham to leave his home, all that he knew, all of his old life to uproot it and move to a new land and a new people. Now, here's the thing. In all of our family trees, there was somebody who immigrated to this country. At one point, somebody in the lineage left their family home and came to this one to make a new and strange and different land theirs. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of talking to maybe it's one of your parents or a grandparent or a great-grandparent, hearing these stories are amazing. They're humbling. They're inspiring. To leave everything you knew behind, to make a new life, to embrace a future of unknowns and uncertainties. What incredible courage that takes. And Abram is no different here. We get his story, except the circumstances of his immigration story are quite different. Because he was under far greater uncertainties and fears that we could ever imagine. Right, the call of God began in verse 1. Let's read it. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, Abram is leaving from his country. And we learn in Genesis 11 that that country was from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, um we may not know where that is, but basically think Southern Iraq. And so if you can have a mental picture of the Middle East, think Southern Iraq. And he's called to go from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And so kind of think where modern day Israel is. Now, if you imagine that kind of journey, it would have been quite difficult because if you were to go straight from Southern Iraq to Israel, you'd have to cross through a desert. And there's no way at the time that one could make a direct uh, trip straight from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And so what you would have to do is you'd have to travel north and follow the river where the water source is, and then you would travel west, and then you'd have to travel south. And so a shorter trip would take much, much longer. And so this call of God to Abraham to move would have geographically just been really, really challenging. But there's a second issue. We read here, Abram's call required he leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house. Now that meant a couple of things in the ancient culture. For one, It meant that you had to break and uh, sever very strong familial bonds. The extended family in the ancient time was far more central and important uh, in their lives than it is in ours. Now, I get it. Some of you have uh, very large family gatherings. When you have uh, Thanksgiving dinner, you have your uncles and your uncle's cousins and your uncle's cousin's nephews all come over and they bring their friends too. And you have these large gatherings and we get it. Extended family is important. But it was nothing like what it meant to Abram and his family. Because in the ancient culture, family also meant safety and it meant security. Think about it. You are with your family, your extended family, and a traveling band of nomads comes. And they attack you. What do you do? You can't call 911. You don't have a phone. There's no cell service. There are no landlines. Even if you magically got a phone, who are you going to call? not Ghostbusters. (laughs) You can't call the police. There are no police. You can't call Officer Mark. You can't call uh, anybody because no one is there to protect you except your family. Your family was there to protect you. And so when God appears to Abram and says, go from your country, and then we read in verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, that is evidence of incredible faith. It was by faith, Abraham obeyed God. And it had to be by faith, because by sight, everything about this move was foolish, unwise. If you notice, at the beginning, God doesn't even tell Abram where to go. He just says, "I want you to go." So Abraham has no idea where he's going. There's no Redfin, there's no Zillow, you can't check out real estate prices. You don't know what the taxes are in that area. You can't pull up Google Map and look at a satellite view to say how far is Costco or Whole Foods or Target? Are they within camel riding distance? Oh, it's kind of too far. You can't pick those things up. And so by faith, Abram obeyed. He went to the great unknown. He left the comforts and security of his life behind simply because God said, go. It's amazing. Now, the first thing is you read this story, you read about faith like this, and it is challenging. I mean, who can't help but read this story, see Abraham's faith, look at your own and go, oh man, I'm lacking a little bit so I want you to know it's actually good and helpful. It's beneficial for you to be challenged by Abraham's faith. And I don't want you to simply let that conviction pass because it's moralistic, but we need to wrestle with it. It does uh, make us wonder. It does make us question, what does our faith look like? Are there ways that, that I'm hesitant to obey God because of the cost I have to pay? Am I delaying obeying God because I don't want to give this up? It really makes you look in. Now, each one of you are going to wrestle with that challenge of faith differently. An obedience to God and knowing what he uh, wants you to do, even when it's really hard. Do I break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend? I, I think God wants me. This is a very unhealthy relationship. But I don't want to. Does God want me? I think God wants me to make a covenant with my eyes, to not watch certain shows or movies that tempt me far more than they build me up. But I don't want to. Maybe God is challenging you with faith to make church a bigger priority. Maybe give up and sacrifice some of those things that fill your Sunday schedule, whether they're your own things or your children's things, to make God first. Maybe it means being more generous with certain needs that have come your way. I mean, it could be anything. This can go on and on. The point is, we've got Abraham's faith to do as God told him, to sacrifice the things God told him to sacrifice, and it challenges us. Now, of course, this passage is not simply here to challenge you by faith. God could have done that in any number of ways, um, but we can't bypass it. We can't skip over it. The second thing we can't skip over is simply the inspiration of Abram's faith. Now, I know on one hand, me you may hear the Bible and inspiration, and you have a knee-jerk reaction because you think, oh, the Bible, the stories in it, the figures in it, there need to be more than inspiring examples. I don't need just inspiration. But you do have to understand that God gave us his scriptures and he gave us these stories as examples. Don't forget that Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. That God gave us the Old Testament and that we should learn from their examples. And we read the story of Abram's great faith, and we need to pray, God, give us faith like Abram. It's a good prayer. I don't think God in heaven would receive that prayer and say, well, don't you know that I didn't just give you these for examples? No, it's a good prayer to pray. I wonder what it would look like for our church to exude an Abraham kind of faith. I think more missionaries would be sent. I think more evangelism would be taking place among your neighbors. I think we'd have more generosity uh, to handle, and then we actually had wisdom to, to know how to spend. We'd have more homes opened up for hospitality. We'd have more missional engagement in the workplace. I mean, imagine if Cornerstone was filled with people with Abraham and Sarah, like faith. I mean, we would be like the church in the book of Acts. In fact, do you know that about 2,000 years after Genesis 12 was written, there was a pastor who was trying to shepherd his flock, his congregation. And he knew what they were going through. I mean, they were extremely discouraged because they were being persecuted for their faith. Everything was in opposition against them. They were going through some difficult times. They wanted to give up. And so the pastor looks at his congregation and he begins to write them a letter, write them a sermon. And do you know what that pastor wrote? Hebrews 11 verses 8 and 9, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He encourages his congregation to press on and to persevere by giving the example of faith, that Abraham displayed. And so it's good to emulate this kind of faith, to be inspired by it, to aspire to it. I start here because I don't want us to be afraid of the scriptures to see the men and women who have gone before us in the faith uh, and to think that we can't or shouldn't be challenged and inspired by them, we should. If we neglect the challenging and inspiring examples of those in the scriptures, the church is gonna grow weak. However, if all we focus on is the examples of men and women who've gone before us, then the church will grow arrogant and proud, independent, and moralistic. So yes, we need to see Abram's faith as a challenge and as an inspiration. But we need to see it as so much more. What we actually need to see is the God of Abram's faith. He's the true focal point of this story because what we see in Genesis 12 is God and his enduring, unbreakable, invincible promise. God's enduring, unbreakable, invincible promise given to a nobody who did nothing and impressed no one, and yet, by the gracious hand of a promise initiating God, he receives a tremendous promise of blessing. What do we actually read? Well, we see it here in verses two and three. And and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what we see in this set of promises are seven promises, a perfect promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. I will make it so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. I'll bless all the families of the earth in and through you. Now, these promises are incredible for anybody, but especially a man like Abram, because Abram had no spiritual resume. He had done nothing for God. I mean, what did Abraham do to deserve winning this lottery of promises? It wasn't like Abram was playing the Powerball. He wasn't purchasing scratch-offs in the hope of getting some of God's blessings. He wasn't even searching for God at all. It was God who came to Abram. God who showed up at his door. God who placed the winning ticket right in his hands. It was all the grace of a promise initiating God. And so what do we see in the promise? Well, it begins like this. I will make of you a great nation. And it ends with, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And these are great promises. But if you're skeptical and suspicious, you've got to wonder, how will an unknown immigrant come to an unknown land amongst unknown people and become a great nation that he'll bring a blessing to the entire world? I've shared this story a few times that my dad, an unknown man, coming to an unknown land, living amongst unknown people, did well for himself, and he had... Two fish stores. That was the greatest he could do. How is Abram going to show up in this land and be a great nation and bless the entire world? How will that happen? It almost sounds too good to be true. And in fact, it almost is too good to be true because there was one major and massive obstacle to God's promise being fulfilled. Do you know what that is? Genesis 11, verse 30, we read, Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. How in the world will God make their family a great nation if God can't even make their family three? And what would you do if you were Abraham? God says for you to go and he's going to make you a great nation. And you're listening to that. I mean, I think it'd be entirely reasonable to try to strike a deal with God. God, I hear what you're saying. You're telling me to leave everything behind, to go where you've called me, to go. You promised, you're promising to make me a great nation. But, you know, before I go, like, can you just give me like one, just one indication that 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 you're really gonna fulfill this? I mean, I'm not even just give me like Abram Jr. That's all I need. I don't need twins, I don't need triplets, I don't need a miracle, I just need one. That sounds reasonable to me. But Abram has faith to obey. And he goes. So when God shows up later in verse 7, Abram and Sarah arrive in the land of Canaan. God shows up again and he reinforces his promise. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. He's reiterating, I will give you offspring. I will give you land. Why do you need both? Because if you're going to be a great nation, if you're going to be a legitimate nation, you need people and territory. You need land and seed. And he's basically saying, in order for you to be legitimate in the eyes of others, I'm going to give you both. Uh, you know, a friend of mine told me the other day, his uh, daughter, she went to daycare, and they were learning about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. because, you know, the, his birthday observance and all that. And um, she got sent home with this, you know, kind of craft book and it had a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. And she asked, Appa, she said, Appa, if he's a king, where's his crown? <laughs> no, no crown, no king. No people, no land, no great nation. So God's saying, I'm going to promise you both. I'm going to give you both. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Now you have to get this. They land up in um, the land of Canaan already in the red because they're working uphill against Sarah's barrenness. And so it required a lot of faith. They went, but as soon as they go, they meet another obstacle because not only is Sarah barren, but you realize the land is barren. So we read in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. This is the drama of the story. This is where things get exciting. For God's promise to be fulfilled, it required fruit in Sarah's womb, but also in Canaan's field. And Abraham's looking around. God's 0 for 2. (laughs) This is not a good start. Famine means no food. No food means no family. No family means no future. And so in that moment, Abraham perceives... (laughs) God's promises are in jeopardy. God's promises are being threatened. How is he going to do this? And so what does Abram decide? I'll take matters into my own hands. That's why we read, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Abram obeys, shows up to the land of promise, realizes the famine, says, well, surely God can't work through a famine. And what does he do? He leaves the land of Of promise, The question for the reader is this. We just talked about how Abram's faith is challenging and inspiring. Where's Abraham's faith now? And what we see is that Abram had incredible faith to obey God, to do what God said. But Abram didn't have faith to trust God. And that's a really big difference. It's as if Abram's saying, God, I'll do what you say. But in the moment that things get hard, I'm going to do what I need to do. God, I'll obey and do what you say, but as soon as it looks like you're not in control, I'll go into the driver's seat and take over the steering wheel. Here's the reality. Abram's faith, this inspiring, challenging faith, it is reverential. It honors God because it obeys him, but it's not personal. He doesn't trust God. God, I'll honor you through obedience, but I'm not going to trust you through dependence. This is important because... Uh, Many of you grew up in the church. I understand the context of our congregation. You grew up in the church. And in a lot of ways, you were always in church. Many of you were baptized as babies. You grew up with the covenant promises. Faith was inherited. So you believe in God. You know there's a God. You know and believe he's creator. He's Lord. He deserves your obedience. And so a lot of your life, you've lived pretty obediently. You've lived in faithful obedience. You come to church, even though it's more comfortable to sleep in. You give offering even though that money can be spent on yourself. You serve and you give and you sacrifice even though it's tiring and you don't really want to. But you believe in God. You have faith in God. And so you do your Christian duties. You don't complain. Maybe you even enjoy them. Your faith is expressed through your obedience. And that way anyone looks at your life and they're seeing your schedule. Oh, you go to church a couple times a week? You go to small group? What is that? You go to Sunday service and you do this? And they'll say, well, you have faith in God. But when it comes to trusting in God, when it comes to leaning on God and leaning into God, when life is hard, when circumstances are tough, you take matters into your own hands. But God is not actually the first person you run to. You see, for some of you, your faith is expressed in obedience, but not in daily trust independence your faith is reverential but it's not personal abram had faith to obey god and go but once in the land facing famine facing death facing hunger abram didn't have faith to stay because he didn't trust god would provide and so with great mighty faith abram moved to canaan with great faithlessness Abram moved to Egypt. Abram failed to remember this central truth about God. God didn't simply give him a command. He gave him promises. You see, Abram, for a second, he forgot how to count. He lost sight of the math of God's command and promises. Because what do we actually see? There was one command, but there were Seven promises. Yes, God wants you to obey him, but God wants you to trust him. So what does your faith in God actually look like? Is it faith to obey and God, I'll do what you want me to do? Or is it faith to say, God, I trust you. I lean on you. I rely on you. Now, Abram, okay, he fails to trust God when the famine comes. God, I don't trust you're going to provide. And so he leaves. Then once in Egypt, he runs into another problem. It's really, it's a good problem for Abram to have. Do you know what the problem is? Abram's thinking, oh my gosh, my wife is so beautiful that my life is in danger. Hey, I should hear a lot more amens from the husbands in this room. Your wife is so beautiful that, you know, your life is on the line. Still no amens. Okay, some marriage counseling this week. Abram shows up and he looks at his wife just like, "You are too beautiful for our family's good. Abram is 75 years old, we're told, which means Sarah is 65, so that's really encouraging women 65, you can still turn the heads of kings. So they show up and what does Abram say? He calls Sarai aside and we read in verses 12 and 13, "Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister. That it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake this is how abram sees it if i die then god's promises aren't going to be fulfilled if i die then god's going to you know be a liar in canaan i didn't have faith that god would provide so i left in egypt i don't have faith that god's going to protect so i'm going to lie so he takes matters into his own hands just as he decided hey we're going to leave the land of promise he showed him says hey i'm going to lie And I'm going to protect myself because I don't trust God. It's going to protect me. You know, this great faith-filled Abram of Sunday school, where is he in Egypt? Because he fails to believe God's promise. Abram didn't need more faith to obey. He needed more faith to trust. You know, it's good, dear friends. I look out at you. You have faith to obey. It's good. Christians should have it. Some of you need to be challenged to have it more. All of us need to be inspired to have it like Abram. But we also learn and see from Abram's story that faith to obey is not enough. We need faith to trust in God and his promises. That's personal. That's vital. That will give you spiritual life. Because a relationship based with God on uh, faith to obey, it'll be reverential, but it'll be rigid. It'll be impersonal. And unfortunately, I think some of you have a relationship with God like that. He tells you to do something. You say, well, I know you're God and I can't deny it, so I'll do it. But as soon as things get tough, you say, well, God, I don't actually trust you, so I'll take matters into my own hands. You do what God expects of you. You say, my hands, my feet, they're yours to serve. And you're willing to do, but you're not willing to depend so in the hard and uncertain moments of life, you don't run to him for comfort. You don't run to him for help. The first thing you, don't, you do is, is not to fall on your knees and pray, but it's to take over the situation. You're willing to do a lot for God, but you do not trust God will do anything for you. And again, you lose sight in the math. You lose count. God only gave one command He gave seven promises. One go to seven. I will do this for you. Beloved God, you need to know that faith is not primarily measured by what you're willing to do for God. Faith is primarily measured by trusting in what God is willing to do for you. Do you believe? This is why faith is exercised By believing in his promises and trusting in him when it seems so impossible. Now, we have to understand this. Before Genesis 12 gets to us, it gets to the original audience, the original readers. So we're privileged in reading this kind of over the shoulders of the Israelites because who wrote Genesis? Moses. Who was he writing to? Israel. Where was Israel? They were in the wilderness, wandering, having left Egypt, but not yet in the promised land. And so when you remember that Moses was actually writing the story first to Israel, it begins to change the way you look at the story because now you see, oh, all of these details of Abram's story, they're actually about Israel's story. And so think about it. Abram arrived in Egypt by leaving Canaan because there was a famine. Israel ended up in Egypt because they left Canaan when there was a famine. When Abram went into Egypt and before he saw Pharaoh, he planned and rehearsed a speech with Sarai about what they were going to say. When Jacob and his son show up, you know what Joseph does? He pulls him aside and says, okay, here's what you got to say to Pharaoh. So too, Pharaoh forced Sarai to become his possession by taking her and making her his wife. And in the same way, we see Pharaoh forcing the Israelites, trying to make them his own possession and turning them into slaves. But God mightily delivers Sarai by sending plagues on Pharaoh's house, which pointed to the way in which God would deliver his people by sending 10 plagues to deliver Israel out of Egypt's hands. That's not all, because we read that God delivered Abram and Sarai from Egypt with Pharaoh's riches. We read, actually, in Genesis 13, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all he had and lot with him into the Negev. What did Abram have? He was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold that Pharaoh had actually given him. On the night when Israel was to leave Egypt, we read in Exodus 12, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. You can imagine as the Israelites are reading the story of Abram's life, they're beginning to see, oh, my gosh, there are all these connections, his story and my story. And as they're reading it, they're discovering and it's becoming clear and clear what Moses's lesson for them is, despite Abram's faithlessness, his faithless actions and faithless attitudes, despite God, God never let up on his promises to deliver them from Egypt and to the promised land. God never once rescinded his promise. God never once took back his promise. God never once withdrew his promise and every time Abram veered to the left and to the right and took detours that God told him not to. God kept correcting history to make sure his promises were fulfilled. And so here the Israelites are because they're wandering in the desert. they just left Egypt and they're saying, what will God do with us? Because we've been faithless. We complain, we grumble, we pointed our fingers at Moses. We said that land and food in Egypt was better. We've been faithless. What is God gonna do? And Moses writes the story and says, look at Abram, look how faithless he was. And where did Abram end up? Genesis 13, three and four. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I to the place where he had made an altar at the first. Abram, where does he end up? Back in the promised land despite his faithlessness. And Moses writes his story to a discouraged and despairing Israel who were saying, what is God gonna do with us and our faithlessness? Faithlessness, and they are learning that despite all that they contributed, despite all that they did for God to turn away, that his promise is enduring, unbreakable, invincible. And as God led faithless Abraham back into the promised land, he would lead faithless Israel back home see the lesson that was true for Israel is true for us because we see the fulfillment of what Abram and Israel waited for this great promise this mighty promise of Genesis 12 it was never about Isaac and the birth of Isaac it was always about the birth of another son one through whom the blessings of salvation would come into the world, that all families who call and confess on him would be saved. Apostle Paul makes that clear for us by writing in Galatians 3. Now the promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. And then Matthew comes and he just connects the dots right for us when he writes, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We see the fulfillment of God's enduring, unbreakable, invincible promise in the coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, the son of Abraham, but more importantly, the son of God. You see, God, despite the faithlessness of his people, people like you and me, despite our lack of trusting and depending on him, he has still delivered his promise. And a God who is willing to do that, despite all that you failed to do for him, is he not worthy of far more than your obedience, but he is worthy of your trust. After all, God is the one who sent his own son into the world, into a strange and new land, an unknown territory amongst unknown people, that Jesus left the house of his father in order to come bring you home. And the son of God came as Emmanuel, God with us, but he also came as an immigrant. God come to live in a foreign country for us, leaving behind everything, riches and glory and crown and throne. Giving it all up so that the blessings he deserved would be yours. And the curses you deserved, he would take upon himself, slain on the cross for your sin, for my sin. So when you gaze upon the face of Jesus, you see the fulfillment of God's promise. Do you not see every reason then why it is good to have faith in God that trusts and depends and relies on him in all things? Genesis 12 is given to us with two back-to-back stories. One of Abram's faithfulness, which we want to have. One of Abram's faithlessness, which we relate to more. But at the end of the day, neither of these stories is about Abram at all. And therefore, they're not supremely about you and me. These stories are about God and his enduring, unbreakable, invincible promise to faithless people like Abraham me, and you. And therefore, we trust, we depend, we rely on him. Let's pray.